Hello, and welcome to Not So Familiar, the show that remembers when children's BBC quiz show First Class showed the clip from the video for It's a Miracle by Culture Club and posed the question, what game was the girl playing at the start of the video? When one team replied Monopoly, Debbie Greenwood came back with, I'm sorry, the answer is Computer Console. I'm Tim Worthington, and joining me today to talk about some of the things that she remembers that no one's ever seemed to is QI Elf and Only Connect winner, Lydia Meisen. Lydia, what are you up to? Where can we find it? At the moment, I am writing true facts for the QI Twitter account, which is QIKIPEDIA, Wikipedia. You can find me at Lydia Meisen, and I'm currently also working at a university in the Midlands. Right. I'm going to hazard a guess that none of those things, not even the QI Twitter account, will ever have cause to mention your first choice. You don't even know which one I've picked out, but let's have a listen to the intro from it, and then we'll talk about it. Stop it and tidy up. And here's all their friends. Comb your hair, wash your face, and hurry up. Go and play his favorite toy. And poor little, calm down, and nasty little, not now. The two bees behave and be quiet. Sleepy old, go to bed. And don't do that. Take care. Eat your greens. Clean your teeth. And the big, bad, I said no. Okay, no mistaking the voice of Terry Wogan there, but this is possibly a context in which most people won't have heard it. Lydia, who was Stop It and Tidy Up? They were a cartoon for children narrated by Terry Wogan, and they all had sort of instructive names. So there was Stop It, who was like a little red gremlin, Tidy Up, who was a terrifying aubergine-like guy, and then their friends, who were all called things like Go to Bed, I Said No... Come and play. That was a creepy one. Uh, They were all very sinister in their own way. One of my earliest memories is clinging to my grandmother while Tidy Up went on one of his tirades because they didn't talk. They all just made frightening noises. But it was about it was about recycling or being environmental or something. There was a deeper message behind it. Yes. It's funny you should say you found it disturbing because I was slightly older when it was on. And it was one of those things where I was surprised by that it originally went out in the afternoons of Children's BBC because I remembered it being on in the mornings, which okay. I think it was on the second showing a couple of months later. Cause it was first on in late 1988 that, and then yeah. again in early 1989. I'm not sure what happened beyond that. But it was the sort of thing in school where somebody would have been off, you know, because they'd been to the doctor or something, come back in and say, has anyone else seen that really (laughs) weird thing that's on? Sort of, I think it was at the start of the broom cupboard, maybe. It became, me and one of my sisters became quite obsessed with it because it was really, really weird. There was one where, I mean, we sort of joked about how weird it was. But there's one we were both really freaked out by called Say Please and Say Thank You, which is a sort of two-faced plant that just ate all of... 
I think tidy up crew aubergines, didn't he? And it just he ate all of them and then denied it had done. So it's a bit like a Boris Johnson plant, really. <laughs> and yeah, it was quite creepy. And maybe the sort of thing that possibly shouldn't have been shown to kids. Well, not, you know, not shown to, but who thought it was a good idea at any point? I think it's good to frighten kids. I think it's, stuff like that has left me with a, a healthy appreciation for the eccentric and the the abnormal and i think i you know i'm all for freaking some kids out but um my overriding memory of it is, is tidy up used to sort of make this protracted noise when he was frightened or perturbed and it was just like Burr! but for about a minute and and i used to be petrified of it to this day i have, have a real aversion to long protracted single note noises and i think it comes from him so i blame whoever was in charge of that decision but uh, yeah every character in that was was sinister in some way and i think there might be some available on youtube i i implore your listeners to just go and seek it out they're only five ten minutes these episodes i do know a bit of background behind it because it was made by queensgate productions who i think were co-owned by terry wogan okay who also did trapdoor a couple of years earlier okay so two of the weirdest animations of the 80s but only one that people remember but the other thing is it was a co production with who by that point were called the tidy britain group which used to be keep britain tidy with that sort of weird pointy man dropping litter into (laughs) a bin they had changed the name by that and i think their logo came up the end with sort of boiling sound (laughs) which was weird in itself the whole thing i mean when i say it was frightening that's not quite correct it was just weird yeah plain weird yeah it's weird i didn't know it was made by the same people as trapdoor and that's interesting because i had never heard of Trapdoor until I got to university. And then it was one of those posters that everyone had on their wall. And I was like, what is this? I literally, it passed me by completely. I think maybe, I was going to say I was too young for it, but everybody was the same age at me at uni. I have no idea. But looking at this, though, has reminded me of the way that when it was first on, when I saw it as part of the BBC's daytime schedules, that was still a novelty. I think they'd only been doing daytime for just over two years at that point. Okay. And it was full of odd, strange little things like this. And yeah, repeats of things that I think the Liber Birds showed up in <laughs> the daytime schedules at one point. All kinds of odd programs like Bizarre and Box Clever. And Stop It and Tidy Up is very much of a piece with that. In my mind, it's also associated with 5 to 11, that weird slot where yeah. you would get people who maybe have been in you know something like the brothers or blake seven a couple of years earlier and they, they were on the way down the celebrity ladder and they come on and read the poem for five minutes yeah and that was that by some flowers yeah. i think it's, it's lovely if you look at i follow quite a lot of old twitter accounts that almost exclusively retweet sort of old radio times from the 80s and 90s and i it's fascinating i feel the programs are so much simpler and they're more diverse and i just think oh i sort of miss that now bbc one is just you know six hours of property programs in the mornings and if you're off sick i miss that when it was just yeah a man and a poem and some flowers <laughs> like what a world yeah i don't think kids really go to school anymore and say oh my god suddenly so seen that really weird yeah. program where someone goes around valuing houses and also i think the internet has sort of killed that i think i'm 33 and i think i'm one of the last years probably that i can properly remember without the internet i know what that was like and so it was quite difficult for this show thinking, well, what does nobody remember? Because I've had so many discussions with people all across the world being like, do you remember this? So it's hard to find something that nobody remembers anymore. And I think that sense of shared nostalgia will leave as things are accessible forever. And now everyone remembers everything. I think it's a, 
it's going to be lost a bit, I think, which is a shame. But have you met many people who remember Stop It and Tidy Up? No. And it's hard to explain. I tend to drop it quite quickly because there's no way of explaining it, especially if you're not near sort of a YouTube or anything like that. Because my overriding memory of how frightening it was, I very quickly descended to trying to make the tidy up noise and, and explaining, like, don't you think that's frightening? And people go, what is? No. OK, well, I'm hoping you didn't find anything you're scared of in your next choice, although I have noticed one brilliant detail about it I'll bring in, which um, maybe you were a bit frightened of that. <laughs> anyway, if you're one of the people who always complain when I put sounds of computer games in, please turn the volume down for a couple of seconds now. But here's some music, and we're going to find out what it's music from in a minute. Okay, well, that's not the digitised theme from a computer game based on a depressing BBC One drama from the late 80s, although it does sound like it. It's actually from quite an exciting game. Lydia, what was Fervour? <laughs> Fervour is one of the most infuriating games I've ever played. Probably one of the first proper computer games I ever played. And it is a sort of early 90s puzzle game where you play a continuously moving ball in space that has to go over this path of bright colors and you have to stop the ball yourself from falling off and um it's impossible and i think i've only ever managed it for about five seconds but for me it was very much my entry into into computer games and i don't think i think this is one where i genuinely have never found anyone else that remembers it yeah, there's not very much out there. As far as I can tell, it's only available on the Acorn Archimedes, yeah, which is a really forgotten it. computer in itself, because it, I'm fairly certain that was originally the BBC Archimedes, and then Acorn and the BBC had a sort of parting of the ways, and it was rebranded. But mm. that wasn't really a computer you got games for. That was more, forgive me for saying this, but it was kind of bought by families where the usual sort of exchange around Christmas was may I have Castle Grace called no you can have a chemistry set yeah and I think we didn't have a computer for a long time I, I clearly remember my mum saying we will never get a computer and then three years later it's well we'll never get the internet and, <laughs> and so on and so on obviously that's completely gone out of the window but um this game belonged to my friend Anna Hurst and I remember her sort of introducing it to me one afternoon and then we had it at school I think so I played it a bit there and I used to just sort of try she had great all great games board games and computer games Anna Hurst and I wasn't a very dominant kid I didn't really push my way to the front but I remember very clearly her getting annoyed with me because I wouldn't stop playing this game because I couldn't I couldn't get past the first two minutes and I haven't heard the music for about 20, 25 years, but I remember how it went because it was so infuriating the whole experience, but I remember it with great, great fondness now. Yeah, there's little much more out there than there's a couple of videos of people playing it, mostly not very successful. No, it's impossible. I have to say. But it's from 1992. I believe it was available on floppy disk. Yeah. It looks like something from much earlier. It's kind of, if anyone's never seen it, it's like this sort of 
robot ball that's not at all based on the Xeroid Terror Hawks, obviously. <laughs> you know, we have to be clear on that for legal reasons. Rolling along something that looks like a cross between the Bifrost from the Thor films and the Rainbow Road levels of Mario Kart. Yes, very much the same as those levels. And it's the same sort of gameplay as Rainbow Road. It's got some opening credits that got an unusually jokey tone to them. The developers thank Rupert Johnson for the idea of the yellow and blue areas. <laughs> I was just bewildered by that. They needed a third party to come up with the idea of different shaded areas for it. I'm sure there was a good reason, but I just can't think of it. Different bits. I don't know whether this came across in the videos that you found, but different colours did different things. So I can't remember what was what, but if you went on sort of a yellow one, maybe, then you would bounce. And if you went on a pink one, then you would veer wildly to the left. And there was no instruction at the beginning to say this is what happened. You just had to figure it out for yourself. So it wasn't just controlling a never-ending moving ball along a tiny little track. It, well, you also had to take into account what colours there were and what was coming. And it was there was too much for my six-year-old brain to remember, but it stayed with me. The music and the... That feeling when you just fall off for the 50th time, that's stayed with me all these years. I'm quite surprised it did, really, because the Archimedes, like I said, it was a bit of a ephemeral forgotten computer itself, to the extent that Wikipedia confirms it was launched in 1987 and discontinued sometime in the mid-90s. <laughs> Nobody even knows. Obviously, this was in 92, but I mean, there's a whole Wikipedia page of Archimedes games which don't link anywhere. Yeah. So you can't find anything else out about them. Do you remember any other games for it? I don't know because I don't remember. My introduction to computer games was so sort of fragmented. We had an Acorn computer at school which had a game where you sort of had to walk through a village to find some treasure, but I couldn't tell you if that was the same computer or the same game. That's the only one, and I don't even know why it's stuck with me for so long. I, I knew about it before. I, I didn't know what the word further was. I didn't really know what computer games were. I was so young, but um, I don't. I don't think I remember any other games for it. Actually, Fervor's a pretty odd name for it. It's it is. It's really name, very isn't it? fervent, is it? Years later, when I found out what the name Fervor meant, and I was like, "Oh, it's a thing." Like it, it's a <laughs> word. It hasn't just been made up by this weird games company for their impossible game. It's Fervor is a word. Yeah, and I, but I can't hear it without thinking of the game and the music. People say, oh, where were you the first time you heard, like, I don't know, the Beatles or the Stones or whatever, whatever music it is people decide to really associate themselves with. I remember where I was the first time I saw The Sims. <laughs> like, I remember where I was the first time I saw Wolfenstein 3D. These things really stuck with me. So I've always been very into computer games and very... I like my computer games in the same way that people like their music. I sort of stick to them and, and love them sort of unnecessarily. But that's that's always been the case with me. But have you ever felt the need to go back to Fervor? I would go back to Fervor tomorrow if it was... Is it available? Have you found it? I've not looked, but I would be surprised if there was even an Acorn Archimedes emulator. I'm going to go find it. It's never occurred to me to look, to be honest, because I, nobody's ever 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 showed any flicker of recognition when i've talked about it and the fact that actually you said that archimedes wasn't even that popular i think my friend who owned it i think her dad was a teacher and it had been that makes sense it had been a computer that he'd taken home from school because they weren't using it anymore which makes sense because i probably found this game about 94 95 maybe so that's probably how that came about it's difficult to explain to sort of younger people as well there was no internet there was you can buy the games online you can even buy the games in the shops really i sent away from them in a magazine or whatever 
and you got what you got. And if it didn't work, there was no internet to look that up on. There was no like cheat codes came in a leaflet with the game or not at all. It was very, very different. And I think maybe that made it more formative because you had to spend so much. You couldn't just like flick to another game. You know, if I yeah. play a game on Steam and I don't like it, I could instantly get it refunded and just buy another one. You didn't have that then. You kind of had to stick with things. Yeah, and on the spectrum, it took about seven minutes to load <laughs> things. I think even yeah. with the speed loader that they brought in, it invariably crashed anyway. So Yeah, there's this... We have to be a lot more patient with these things. And you needed quite a lot of patience to play further in the first place. Yeah, which like I've it. never had. So even though I've probably never played one level for more than, you know, 15 seconds successfully, it's something I enjoyed. Well, I'm hoping that your next choice is actually something you're enjoying. And you're not about to launch into a tirade about it because I had to look at a couple of clips of it earlier. It looks quite nice and jolly. I just don't remember it at all. But here's a theme song from it. Is it a castle in the air? No, it's a castle here and there Flags are flying, plain to see Alphabet Castle A, B, C With old King Alpha and young Queen Bet And flags are flying, the Alphabet Alphabet Castle Okay, no prizes for guessing that was the theme from Alphabet Castle. Lydia, I have no recollection of this. What was it? No offence, you are probably much too old. I'm sort of too old for Alphabet Castle, but my brother was precisely the right age. So he was born in 91, so I'm guessing this might have been maybe 96, 97. It's a castle, as the theme tune specifies, it's basically on the theme tune, it's a castle in the air, and they learn about the alphabet, and there's a goose or a chicken or a turkey that's very into um, spoonerisms. So I, I used to enjoy that. There's a cartoon goose that the king and the queen of the castle refer to constantly, who's, who's very confused. So I think my brother used to watch it sort of non-ironically, but my sister and I used to find it. It's very funny. And I think the tune is an earworm that I still have trouble with now. <laughs> I'll find it gets in my head and then I can't get rid of it. As far as I can tell, it was a King Alpha and Queen Bet yes. and Gobbledygook the turkey. That's it. And it was made by Carlton, who were the ITV region that everyone hated because they took over from Thames. Right. And just did very, very, you know, because Thames were quite, they were loud, they were in your face. They did a lot of brash sitcoms and things like the Bill and Minder, you know, mm-hmm. sort of when they went gritty, they went really gritty. And when you saw the Thames logo at the start of a programme, you knew it was going to be entertaining at the very least. And Carlton were just very, very bland. In a bland way, they sort of took over ITV eventually. And also David Cameron worked there, which oh, is always ew. worth pointing out. And they made days like these, the British version of that 70s show for which they can never be forgiven. Oh my God. But this yeah, looks quite, as well. quite nice, actually. Yeah. And I noticed in the credits, it was created by Michael Cole, who was a former BBC producer who was behind... All kinds of things like Bod, Finger Bobs, Ragtime, Playboard. He produced Play School for a long time. So I was thrilled when I saw that because in the very strange way, he's one of my unlikely heroes. Because <laughs> I'm obsessed with all those programmes and the way sort of they made do amend with no budget, quite often in the bare white studio. Yeah. And, you know, they've got that sort of early to mid-70s post-psychedelic vibe to them as well. Admittedly, that's not really on display in this, but it's still got his... 
his nice little touches to it. The other thing I noticed were the Queen and King were played by Stephen Cameron, who doesn't appear to have done anything else ever, but Joanne Campbell, who, quite a sad story this, she was really was one of the up-and-coming faces of the 80s. I mean, just off the top of my head, I remember she was in a children's ITV show called The All Electric Amusement Arcade, which a lot of people remember very fondly. She's in Me and My Girl, the ITV sitcom, okay. Blind Justice, London's Burning. She's in Nuns on the Run, the Eric Idle film. No way. You can't get more 80s than that. No. And then she seems to be moving into children's TV in the 90s. Then she died very young, I think, from oh, no. falling ill on a plane. Oh. Probably. She meant a lot to sort of, you know, children who were watching things like Alphabet Castle. Yeah. And she just seems to be completely forgotten. There's not even that much out there on the internet about her. And I find that really sad. That is really sad. Well, I remember her very fondly. Even at a sort of age of eight or nine, I remember being... There's quite an age difference between the king and queen. I was aware of that. But she was... Even though she was, she's probably younger there than I am now, but... She's motherly without being sort of motherly. She's very sort of friendly and warm. And the qui- the king was a bit sort of irritable. And he looks um he looks like the guy from KFC. He looks like Colonel Sanders. But, <laughs> but she's a bit more glamorous. And I remember thinking like, yeah, she she was the one that I really related to. And then this, did you say it was a turkey? I remember yes, it looks like. Yeah. I just don't remember what it's supposed to be. And she sort of treated him with this sort of the same way I treat my little brother with sort of belittling affection <laughs> sort of puts up with this bird she married the king for his alphabet skills i think she married him for his castle you would it's a castle on a cloud it's beautiful and um i could never really see what she saw in him he was very i think i might have assumed that she was his daughter or something but you don't think about these things when you're a kid it just is but i was getting to the stage where i was like well she seems quite a lot younger than him <laughs> I'd noticed the age difference. I just hadn't thought about it too much. Well, it did make me think of something that, again, from around that era that I remember that just get blank looks for most of the time, which is, again, it's back to the stop it and tidy up thing. You know, it was much too old to be seeing any of this. Yeah. When, well, I say play days, when Playbus first started, yes. as it was for about 18 months, some of the stops were very different to what they became. I mean, notably, there was the original dot from the dot stop. They dispensed with her because children found her frightening. Really? I remember reading about that in papers at the time. They were assessing Playbus one year on, and that was they got that feedback quite a lot. And, you know, to me, as a teenage boy, it just looked like somebody pretended to be Lisa Stansfield in a sort of dice-themed Piero costume. <laughs> but, you know, kids were scared of that. But the one that really stuck out to me is sort of completely obliterated from history, was the patch stop. Oh, you found the patch stop very boring. Yeah, it, well, it was very boring, but most people remember it had a male presenter and Peggy Patch, Peggy Patch the doll. Yeah. Originally, there was a female presenter, Amber Lee, okay. who I found quite attractive at that age, <laughs> that's why I watched it, yeah, who had so. Sam Patch, the male Patch doll. Okay. And the reason I've come round to that is there was an insert in it called King Green Fingers. <laughs> right which had a sort of yodelling Derek Griffiths theme song. <laughs> and it, it wasn't really animated, it was just still pictures of this king who neglected his, you know, royal duties and his family and so on because he was so horticulturally obsessed. <laughs> and what I remember in particular was he had a tree that had smaller trees growing inside. Oh, that's a bit, a bit like Green Claws. You had a Green Claws? I remember Green Claws existing. I think that was that was after my time. That had a tree that grew weird stuff inside it as well. I wonder if that had anything to do with it. Anyway, sorry. It was probably linked, actually. Yeah, yeah. 
I think I'm quite lucky because my mum, I was lucky enough to have a mum that was home with me. She was a stay-at-home mum for the first few years of my life. And so she remembers the things that I watched. So if she, if I have this sort of insane anxiety dream or something and Green Claws shows up in it, I can message her and say, was that real, mum? Was there a show about a giant green monster that grew things and there was an owl? And she'll say, yes, that was real. And I'll say, did the owl's head turn all the way around? And she'll say, no, that's not real. It's easier. I think YouTube's got more of this stuff as well than it used to. But loads and loads of times I've had to ask my parents or my sister. There's only two years between us. So we've got quite similar memories. Is this a thing? Because, again, going back to it, there's a lot of it that seems a bit wrong, a bit sinister. I don't know much about children's TV this days, these days because I don't have any kids at the moment. But I don't know whether people are in sort of giant puppets, sort of giant bodysuits anymore, but they seem to be all the time <laughs> as a kid. Green Claws was a man in a suit. Or sort of very, very crude animation. There's a lot to be said for these things. Of The way you remember something will be completely different from the way someone else remembers the same show. And it's, sometimes it's just like, you're not talking about the same program. Well, I just hope you never had an anxiety dream about the fiddly foodle bird because that would be too much for me to cope with. <laughs> I did not. <laughs> okay, we're well, moving on to your next choice, which sounds like it could have been a program in that kind of time slot, but it's actually, by the sound of it, a slightly more serious book. There's nothing I can use as a clip for this, so as usual, here's a bit of 60s music instead. <laughs> Okay, that's Mirror of Your Mind by We The People, which is the nearest thing I could find to a song about a magic mirror, because your next choice, Lydia, is Roseanne and the Magic Mirror. Yeah. Again, I don't think I've ever come across anybody that remembers it. Even my mum, when I asked her about it the other day, didn't remember it. And I looked it up to check that I'd got the title right. But this was a book I was quite preoccupied with as well. I, I had a thing, a sort of weird fascination with hypnosis and alter egos and things like that anything with like that as a child I was fascinated by and this is about a girl who's quite unpopular she's portrayed as maybe she's very young I think school age she's a bit frumpy and she makes a wish in this mirror that she could be a sort of more exciting person and she splits into these two people one of whom I think comes out anytime she looks in this mirror and one of whom is good and one of whom is evil. And it's about the things that happen as a result of that. I was fascinated by it as a kid and I read it over and over again. But again, I think it was written by someone quite well known, wasn't it? It was Virginia Ironside, who bizarrely, most people will know as a sort of a vice columnist in the tabloids. Where <laughs> She was one of those ones where, you know, that Virginia was in quite a small font and the Ironside was absolutely massive. <laughs> Took up half the page with a, a picture next to it. And as a kid, you'd always read and think, oh, there'll be some salacious stuff in here. And it was yeah. always about somebody who had an argument with their mum. Who should make the first move to make a reparation? Oh, so you're like, oh th- th- this isn't what I was looking for. <laughs> 
but time and time again you went back hoping there'd be some sort yeah. of it and there never was but yeah this i'm not sure she wrote many other sort of fiction works really because no. most of the books are basically collections of columns yeah i was interested because like, again I, when i looked this up to check that it was number one it had definitely existed and number two that the title was right one of the first things i found was the cover which is something that i really remember very well and i mean that girl does not look a hundred million miles from what i looked like at that age <laughs> sort of very pale and very short hair and a bit a little unhappy but I was really surprised that she hadn't written any or many other children's books because I remember the writing being so I was so gripped by this book. It was a really I mean, it's almost a shame that she didn't write that many because it's I think it's a genuinely good book. I'd really like to read it again. Well, I wonder if it could be because she was the kind of person who was the target of parody. It's the sort of person that Hale and Pace would do send ups of, <laughs> you know, when they wanted to do something about agony ants, they would because of iron e virginia side <laughs> and there was quite a bit of i would say there was hostility towards you know advice columnists and so on yeah in the 80s and 90s they weren't taken as seriously as they are now they treated as a bit of a joke yeah yeah a bit like busybodies do-gooders poking their nose in where they weren't wanted so there was a kind of a sense of bad feeling towards her so probably when the book got reviewed there were people who were like oh here she comes yeah i think she could write a children's book now and if it didn't grab the kids which it may not have done because it sounds like as though it was quite sinister in places. Then, <laughs> Again, I had a, I had a, you know, predilection for the sinister. Clearly, if that had happened, she probably wouldn't have been asked to write many more. No, maybe books. not. <laughs> maybe not. But yeah, I mean, this, I don't think this book's particularly well known. I don't think there's a lot of information about it out there. So maybe again, it was just something that me and maybe a dozen other slightly odd children enjoyed, and and it sunk without trace. I don't remember where I got it from, whether Mum got it from a charity shop or. I guess I'll never know because she doesn't even remember this book. I don't even really remember what's in it, what happens at the end. I just remember the concept of the split personalities and the unusually for a children's book as well, or at least one that long. She's not a likable protagonist. She's very grumpy and stubborn and, you know, you're not really rooting for her at the beginning. You're kind of happy when things start to go a bit wrong for her, but or I was at least, but she wins you round. And I, fa- I found that very interesting as well. Well, I don't know what it's going for on Amazon, but like you say, there's virtually nothing out there. You know, what I really found was, you, well, you know you're in trouble when the cover images are all really low resolution. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but the, I found one synopsis anywhere. And it's not even a very long synopsis. And most books that people suggest on here, like even weird stuff like In the Sofa, it's been quite (laughs) easy to identify them. And yet this is relatively recent compared to some of the other things like that and Jennifer and Josephine and so on. And there's just barely anything out there about it. And it is very, very odd. But it's not as obscure as your next choice, (laughs) which I haven't even been able to put a name to. So... No hope of a clip at all. So here's something relating to its subject matter. If you're if you're easily influenced, please stop listening now. You'll find out why in a minute. Anyway, um, coming up on the show today. Is... Mm, that's delicious. Mm. Well, what are you doing? It's not obvious. No. Dude. I'm enjoying some lovely crest. It's a tasty and filling snack. Why don't you try some? Well, two points, Rich. A, because I'm doing the show and it's a bit distracting. And B, because it's crest. <laughs> you know, Stu. I used to be a bit like you. Patronising. Someone offered me cress, I looked at them as if they were nutty. <laughs> but then I tried some cress, and you know, it refreshes the parts other cruciferous plants cannot reach. <laughs> cress. It's the taste of a new generation. What are, you, 
what are you doing? Why are you talking like you're in an advert or something? What's going on? <laughs> Don't be stupid, Steve. <laughs> that would be against the BBC Charter. I just like Crest, that's all. And at 29 pence a punnet, <laughs> Crest isn't a stress on my pocket it's either. Lovely, lovely crest, 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 Dad invented Crest, Stu. That's why it's called Crest. OK, that was Stuart Lee trying to stop Richard Herring from pushing his sinister Crest agenda <laughs> on this morning with Richard <laughs> on duty in 1998. Lydia, why are we talking about Crest? As a kid, one of the things that frustrated me most was that my sister and brother both have very common names and were constantly being given things with their names on. This doesn't seem relevant, but it is. So my parents had a habit of wherever they found anything with the word Lydia on it, they would buy it for me, regardless of how suitable it was for me or anything like that. And so one of the books, I think it was a set of books that I grew up with as a child, was about a girl called Lydia, and particularly one where she grew some cress and ate it in a sandwich and didn't like it. As a kid, for me, this was fascinating because I think it may have been the first thing I had with my name on it. But yeah, and then that's the entire, it's a book for probably pretty young children. I think I might have been slightly too old for it by the time I got it. But it was a series of books about a girl called Lydia and her incredibly minor adventures in life. <laughs> <laughs> they sound pretty minor. I mean, I think that's the, probably the most exciting thing that ever happened to her. But it's put me off Cress. I've never, I've never liked Cress and I blame the book. Well, it's quite rare on here that we can't identify anything at all. I mean, there'd be a couple of things. There was the film that Jenny Morrill's dad remembered about some sheep. There was <laughs> Jack Rayner's children's ITV drama about the cannibal children, which, funnily enough, she posted about on Facebook earlier today. If anyone knows what that is, please, please, please tell us. And there was the Spanish film about the women who stole the speedboat from my first appearance as a guest, which we still not identified. <laughs> Even though I've identified one of the actresses, it's just impossible to put a name to it. But this is off the scale. I've tried everything you can think of. <laughs> I found all manner of Pinterest pages belonging to people called Lydia who grow in crests. <laughs> which seems to be a thing for some reason, but maybe it's because of this book. But if it is, they've destroyed all evidence of, of what drove them to this. Well, that's a shame. There is no trace of it out there. And I've looked in every place I could think of. Well, if I'm going back to my parents tomorrow and I will ask them if they still have it. I will send you a picture. This is something I am sure exists because it was one of my most, I want to say important, but it was one of my most significant presents for, uh, possessions for quite a few years because it had my name on it and nothing else did. So it's it's definitely existed. There's other books as well. Lydia does other things. I think she might go on a school trip maybe to see some cows. Can't really remember. But, I mean, they're all very minor events in this very small girl's life. Oh, I'm quite pleased you can't find any trace of it. I mean, is it something... What was the artwork like? It was cartoonish. It was very um, very common, I think, for children's books around that time. It was quite basic water... It was sort of a watercolour style. She had a hat on. She doesn't like crest sandwiches. That's about all I've got, I'm afraid. Are the two things connected? Um, I don't... She's got her anti-crest hat She's on. quite outdoorsy. 
she's not a very likable character either if i remember quite rightly she might have wellington boots on but i might be conflating her with williams wish wellingtons because it was that do you know williams wish wellingtons that was a green claws era program wasn't yeah it? maybe oh. slightly later but it was the same kind if you know the artwork from that it was a right, sort right. of style well for the moment it's gonna have to remain the mystery and that is fascinating i keep thinking about putting together all the unexplained ones from the shows into a kind of special that would see if anyone can identify them yeah but... someone out there will know about this someone out there wrote this and we'll find them. well you say that but there are still some mysteries and still nobody's come forward with a copy of orion the rock opera that mitch ben talked about <laughs> and we really want to get hold of that somebody out there has got that please 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 get in touch with us if you have I don't have much more to say about Lydia who doesn't like Cress because there's nothing I can add. No, well, I mean, it was the first thing that came into my head or one of the first things when when you asked me to do this. And I thought, right, well, I want to talk about that. But then I realised other than those things, her name's Lydia. She doesn't like Cress. She puts it in a sandwich. She still doesn't like Cress. I've got nothing. (laughs) So maybe it wasn't a very good choice. Well, she had the point. You've got to concede that. Yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. I mean, it doesn't taste of anything. It's like eating tiny bits of grass. Like, it doesn't... She was right. Okay, well, thankfully, we've got a lot to say about your last choice. I am so pleased that there is a clip of this online, because that's what we're going to hear now. Hey, how's it going? Did you hear about the Keller Twins party tonight? Yeah, the whole class is invited. It's going to be a totally killer party. We're all going, and, well, I was kind of hoping that... Then you could make it. I think we'd have a blast. What's that? Your mom's having people over for dinner tonight, and you got a whole load of chores to do? What a bummer. Yeah, that's too bad. But look, maybe we can help out. Yeah, because I'm really hoping I'll see you there. Okay, so here's what you should do to make sure you can go to the party tonight. First, pick your favorite color pawn and put it on the board space that matches. Then, everyone's got to pick up two chore cards. Major bummer. And two note cards. Chore cards are bogus. Okay, that was an action from the VHS that came with... Party Mania, Parker Brothers, 1993, (laughs) which is one of the wave of VHS bolstered board games. Lydia, I'm just going to let you explain this. Oh, I've got so much to say. (laughs) This was a party, this was a board game aimed at what would now be called the tween market. So, And I was bang in the middle of that when all of these things came out and it was very much aimed at girls. And the point of the game is that you have to go around the board and prepare for your party or a party that you've been invited to by a cool guy. But you have to do chores and stuff. So you move around the board and play the video. And every minute or so, the clock will stop on the video and someone will call you, your mum or your dad, maybe some nerdy twins who you're desperately trying to avoid. Oh, I like them. when The The Schlatter brothers. (laughs) of everyone i remember them the most and the the game will change so whoever's turn it is will have to take a chore card and then they'll have to do an extra chore before they get to go to the party so at the end of the night depending on how many cards you've got or don't have can't remember which way around it is you either get to go to the party with the cool boy who might want to dance with you or you have to stay at home with the schlumper brothers who i think have invited themselves around in a way that's probably not appropriate yeah, there's quite a lot in it now that you just think, well, that wouldn't happen. The dad is very, the the player has a very odd relationship with the dad. He sort of, he reminds me of the dad in Home Alone. He's quite laid back. He seems to be out in the garden for quite a lot of the game, sort of checked out of looking after you for the day and seems to just come at you every half an hour with more 
stuff that he wants you to do. There's a lot of expectation placed on this presumably tween girl's shoulders. There's an annoying little brother, which is very much a trope of the time. There's that real archetype of the nerdy little brother that's annoying. But it was it was everything everything I wanted in a board game as a as an eleven year old. Yeah, it has got that real ethos of somewhere between I can't say it exactly like either. Somewhere between Beverly Hills and Ado Two One O and Saved by the Bell. Yeah. Very much. It's sitting uneasily between both. It's trying to be serious, like the former was, with the kind of characters and archetypes you got in the latter. Yeah. And it feels a bit weird and forced, and something that we weren't used to over here. No, and I think uh, because I was so young, I was, you know, 10 and 11, you get a real idea of sort of what they think your life is supposed to be. And I, as a 10 and 11 year old, I was not fashionable or confident i didn't have you know i wasn't really interested in boys i remember one of my friends coming home from titanic and continuously talking about leonardo dicaprio and i couldn't understand it i just hadn't hit that stage of beauty yet (laughs) i was like what are you talking about you strange girl she was writing poems about him oh my god what rhymes with leonardo dicaprio oh no there was something rhymed with vest Something about vest and best rhymed. There was yeah, there was no uh, there was no DiCaprio rhyme. We weren't that advanced. But this game, you know, it had the mum and the dad and the little brother, and there was like the cool guy that you definitely supposed to fancy, and then there were these brothers that you definitely were not supposed to fancy, and then there was a friend who was sort of, if I remember rightly, sort of friendly in a again like to use modern terminology like a negging kind of way she was like well you'd better do your chores if you want to go to the party otherwise i might take this guy for myself and then there was like a, another cooler girl oh and there was a nerd girl that wanted to play the piano all the time or something. and it was very much like well these are the kinds of people that you will know and you're not supposed to like this one and this one you don't want to go out with because they're ugly and they like science it had more of an effect on me than it should have done maybe as a kid and i i ended up doing american studies at university and i think this kind of thing really genuinely had an influence not because i still loved it and thought it was great but because i was so there was another um similarish game around the same time called dream phone which didn't have a vhs but it had a phone and you would call boys and see if they liked you and you would get clues so you would call a number and it would be like i know who likes you he doesn't hang around at the beach and you cross off all the people. It was like a logic puzzle, but for which boy fancied you. And I just thought, well, where is this? Where is this supposed to be taking us? Who's come up with this idea of American life that we're selling uncritically to 10 year old British girls in Dorset who actually will never see any man that looks like this? <laughs> like they're not they're not real people. And it that sort of culture has has always really stuck with me and saved by the bell as well we were just sort of sold these american archetypes that you don't really exist anymore because there's no there's no criticism of them there's just they just are there's good and bad and nerdy and then never the twain shall mean you know there's no good and nerdy there's just the two of them well i have always thought it's interesting you know the default thing now is to blame you know the returns of nationalism and brexit and so on on Britpop and I think that was never the impetus behind it. You know, for a start, what what have Elastica got to do with UKIP? That's that's my primary argument. You leave Jarvis Cocker out of this. Well, like, exactly. But as somebody who, you know, was growing up at the time and then was very into all that when it mm. happened, a lot of it was informed by the fact that it was a constant barrage of exactly that kind of Americana. Mm. 
aimed at you, right in your face. You couldn't escape it. Every Coke advert, you know, had glamorous American youths and sort of wailing soul singers yeah. and saxophones. Every record that was re-released was classic Americana from the 50s and 60s. You know, you never got, for example, I don't know, See Emily Play by Pink Floyd <laughs> using that advert That'd reissued. Be a great you know, it, it felt like you weren't allowed to celebrate. You know, because the, the Sex Pistols still felt relatively recent yeah. at that point. We just had the Stone Roses, you know, all kinds of... Then suddenly all these people appear who were saying, yeah, we like this stuff too. And that's where it takes off from. It was a... Re- because as well, you know, suddenly you got Nirvana and Pearl yeah. Jam and so on appeared. It was like, oh, great. They're even pushing alternative outside <laughs> of this at us from America no, now. No, get away and, from it. And, yeah, I'm, I'm not going to say that Party Mania was a directly responsible park life and definitely made me, but <laughs> it was part of that landscape. But the other thing worth saying about this board game is they did think at the time that VHS board games were going to be the future. Yeah. And there weren't that many of them. There was Atmosphere, yeah. which was kind of a scary horror-themed one, wasn't That's it? Fantastic. And Agatha Christie-based one, so it was a Cluedo-based one. And it's just so fiddly, really. Yeah. It must have seemed dazzlingly high-tech at the time. But, I mean, even as anyone who heard the special where we played the Tally Addicts DVD game, well, now, even DVD games seem absolutely creaky and ancient now. Yeah. In fact, we kept talking about how long it took to move between the rounds. The idea of a VHS board game just seems hopelessly archaic now. No, and I think it was less fiddly than a DVD one because you just played it. You just played it. Yeah. There was a rumour at my school, my friend Jenny had Atmosphere and I was a big fan of that as well. There was a rumour at my school that the VHS for that was different every time. We played it, I think, twice in a night and were convinced that it had been different, this VHS of Atmosphere, both times. <laughs> It'd gone in a different order, it said different things, and then it was sort of And then when you looked, the video wasn't even plugged yeah. in. <laughs> there was no game called Atmosphere. Games in general like that, there was a phase when there was sort of PlayStations, early PlayStations, there would be TV quiz games on PlayStation. Tom and I, my husband and I, uh, sometimes get drunk and play the Weakest Link PlayStation game. <laughs> and that, I mean, if you can get your hands on that, and then get drunk. It's a great evening's entertainment. It's very dated. They haven't really tried to make um, any of the playable contestants realistic or even human looking. It's amazing. They've all got very, um, they've got accents, which you wouldn't get away with now. Sort of people doing Cockney accents and Jamaican accents very, very badly. It's a very crude approximation of what the weakest link looks like. (laughs) But it was a real phase of, of that, and you don't get it so much anymore. You really don't get games based on, particularly on game shows anymore. That used to be, there would always be a board game, and later, as you say, a DVD game, based on any sort of hit game show. And the last ones I can really remember are, there was a QI one. Oh, God, Which yeah. I remember not being very good. If you go to the QI office, as I occasionally have cause to do, there's some of those stacked in the corner. Really? <laughs> Can't get rid of them. It seemed to me, I'll be fair, it was more, it, it seemed to have gone more for replicating the feel of the show yeah. than the gameplay, because there was an Allen buzzer in it and so on, oh. which is a nice touch, but how do you play QI on the board? There was a pointless one as well, which didn't really no, work. No, we had the pointless The admin involved in that is <laughs> shocking. Yeah, and we, just, we had the pointless one, and we tried really, because I'm a huge pointless fan, I am absolutely, I'm a massive pointless fan, I used to watch it 
I was off sick once and I literally, I think I might have watched like 13 episodes in a day. I love Pointless. I still love Pointless. The, the game just doesn't really work. You can't make it as exciting. You can't make it as interesting. It caused arguments in my family, but not in the good way that you'd want a game to do. It was just a sort of, nobody could quite agree on what the rules were supposed to be. It's, it ne- it's never quite come off. I can't think, I don't think of any game I can think of based off a TV show that's that's ever quite replicated the show in a way that you'd, you'd want to. <laughs> I think that's fair. But did Party Mania ever replicate your experience of the real world in any way? <laughs> um, no, I don't think it did. <laughs> I didn't really get invited to parties where cool guys would want to dance with me. That wasn't the kind of childhood I had. None of my friends or relatives ever look like that. They're all in very soft focus, this video. So everybody looks very, um, even the kids look quite glamorous, apart from the nerdy brothers who I think live in a basement. Even as a kid, I felt a bit sorry for them. I and mean, you just present these people as on pure, like they've got, they've got nerdy, like funny voices. Like, oh, I hope you're coming to the party or something. But they, they're trying to stop you from going to the party, the cool guy, because they want you for themselves, which is, you know, that's a problem. I did have an annoying little brother, but he got less annoying very quickly. But it gave me an idea of a life that I felt like I might want to live for a few years. So I was very disappointed. <laughs> that song from the Coke advert, was that? Oh, Robin first Beck's time song? by Robin yeah. Beck. Yes. Very, um, <laughs> it's the same sort of completely devoid of self-awareness commercialism <laughs> that they were trying to sell for you. And I think that insult towards Robin Beck is a great Sorry, Robin Beck. <laughs> I'm not. Yeah. Lydia, it's been brilliant. Thank You're you. very welcome. Thank you so much for having me on. Can't help thinking about me, like Tim Worthington. A big book full of old articles giving a new twist, looking at how and why I ended up on the BBC News channel with a big caption saying, Clangers expert. More details, timworthington.org.